You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pacers fans, welcome to a rare Saturday episode of the Locked On Pacers podcast. And for this morning, we are going to be rocking out with the far first mailbag of the post-regular season uh, Locked On Pacers schedule. There might be more of these as the postseason goes along and either the Pacers get eliminated or keep on rolling. Uh, either way, we will continue to do mailbags. They're really fun to get everyone involved. It's fun to see what everyone's thinking about the team as we go, and we're going to do one today. Um, we're going to do a cool scheduling court, too. Um, so all the Locked On um, NBA teams are doing crossover pods to preview their series. Uh, and... Scheduling got tough for us to merge with Locked On Cavs, but we're gonna. We found a time we could do it uh, this Saturday that you're listening morning. So me and Chris Manning will be recording uh, as you're hearing this. It might already be out, but we're gonna record a little um, during the middle of the day Saturday and get that out Saturday like afternoon. So you guys will kind of get two episodes today. But I'm counting the the Pacers Cavs crossover Locked On um, for Sunday's episode. So just pretend that it's Sunday's episode, but it'll come out. I'll try to get it out about 24 hours before. Uh, the series actually starts. We can get as few or as few as many uh, listeners through the door as possible, uh, and some snippet of that will end up on Lockdown NBA next week too. So hopefully, Alex smarted my predictions with Chris. But Chris is a smart guy. If you don't follow him, I think he's at CMW Rights on Twitter. Uh, but the Lockdown Cavs host, he's really good. That'll be a fun series. Um, but today's the mailbag, and I'm sure there'll be some Cavs questions in there, and I'm sure there'll be some non-Cavs questions in there. Mailbag is really fun. Uh, we were going to do this together, me and Adam. We had it scheduled to record about 5.30. Right now it is 8.40. Um, so I got stuck at work way longer than I wanted. Um, and it was kind of my own fault, which was a bummer. But ended up uh, not being able to make our scheduled time. So I'm recording by myself. I hope that's okay with everyone. I get that it's uh, we, we have fun banter and those episodes are funny. So I, my apologies for that, but I do enjoy answering your questions, and I will still do them. Um, and with that incredibly long two-minute intro of not talking about basketball, I think it's time to jump right in. Uh, <laughs> Twerk Turtleton at Tinu Heat with three O's asks, For the mailbag, do you think Sabonis will slash should get a nod for sixth man of the year? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so I want to talk about two things for Sabonis now, including that question. Uh, for sixth man of the year, um, I am in a weird spot with the Pacers because Sabonis is the first guy off the bench every game. Um, so certainly in that regard, he's the sixth man. I put air quotes there. Um, but Corey Joseph, I think, is the sixth man. He plays way more minutes off the bench. He even closes games sometimes. Um, I would, in theory, call him the Pacers' sixth man. But if your thought is just like the first guy off the bench, then it's Sabonis. And, you know, um, he'd probably be a top ten candidate. For that award, um, the top four, uh, you know, Lou Williams, Tyreek, uh, Eric Gordon, uh, Fred Van Vliet. I know I'm missing one, and I can't remember who it is, and it's driving me crazy. Um, but there are some good candidates for sixth man of the year, so I don't think he'd be near the top. You know, those guys are really good off the bench. They have a pretty substantial impact. Uh, there's a reason that they're uh, so high on everyone's list. Uh, Reggie Bullock, even, could be one of those guys. He might have started too many games by the end of the year. But anyway... Um, yeah, it's, uh, so I don't know if Sabonis should be there, but most improved is another award where, you know, or sorry, I'll go back. I think Sabonis probably be a top 10 if he was considered the sixth man. Um, but I don't think he is a considered the sixth man or B high enough to be considered. But the other award most improved, obviously Vic's going to win it. Um, but for Sabonis to be on there, I, I've heard guys on Twitter buzzing about talking about putting him up high and 
I do not think he should be eligible. I think second-year players should not be eligible for most improved because every second-year player should take a step forward. It's just how, like, improving works in the NBA. Um, but Sabonis is, did make a huge jump. I mean, he learned. learned. Um, he put to put pen to paper, basketball style, a ton of new skills. Um, so uh, Sabonis could, you know, he's, he was one of the most improved players in the league. He just probably shouldn't get the award because it was the second year and he – didn't deserve the, uh, the, the he, he had the jump was expected basically so that's a good question though you know his improvement does just put him in the conversation for a lot of things but I don't think he uh, deserves any individual awards this year despite how great he was for the team the second question and actually I love this one I might say it for, no I won't say it for last but I'm gonna do it anyway uh, salty James who is at Adam Adam A R A P S Arups Adam Arups says. How y'all feeling on Jeremy Grant over Julius Randle as a realistic free agency target? Both um, Grant and Oladipo played at DeMatha in D.C. Uh, first of all, never had considered Jeremy Grant as a free agent guy for the Pacers until I read that question. Um, for those of you less aware, Jeremy Grant is a super athletic kind of combo power forward. I don't really know how to describe his position uh, for the Thunder. He plays 3, 4, and 5 for them even sometimes. Um and he's not a good shooter. He's a really good defender. He switches it. I mean, he's like Corey Joseph um, in forward form, <laughs> if I had to perfectly describe him. And I love him. Um, he's so energized for that Thunder bench. His defense is just incredible. I wish I had his stats up in front of me. I even knew this question was coming. For those of you that have listened to these mailbags before, you know that I like to not prep answers for the questions. So you're really getting uh, my honest answers and not like some prepped uh, some preps nonsense, but Jeremy Grant, yeah, so 29% three-point shooter, so right off the bat, you might think, oh, like, this guy can't do anything, and, but he's still shooting 53% from the field because he's so efficient inside the arc, I mean, he gets the rim really well, he's shooting 73% at the rim this year, or, wow, that was horrible, he's shooting 69% at the rim this year, which is crazy good, um, his defensive box plus minus is positive every year of his career, that's great, his defensive rating is one of the lowest on the Thunder, that's really great, including a career high this year. He can really shut down anybody, uh, and he's a really high-energy bench guy. So, big fan of Jeremy Grant. I would love him. I don't even want Julius Randle, first of all. I think Julius Randle's a center, uh, and they already have two slash three, if you like, EK centers. Um, and I don't like Randle next to any of them. Um, but I do like the Jeremy Grant idea. That would be awesome. And I think him and Corey Joseph in lineups together would be a super fun duo, both in terms of versatility, switching, athleticism. I mean, they can't really create for themselves, but they could finish plays. You know, you just have to have them out there with the right guys. I love that. Thank you for asking that and getting that on my mind because now in an off-season preview, I'm going to for sure um, use that. <laughs> um, Lindy, one of my friends from Bullets Forever, uh, at Alana, no, Alinda Noel, gosh, I can never say that, asks, uh, how many game winners will Oladipo hit in LeBron's face during the playoffs? I actually responded to this tweet jokingly on Twitter and said 30. Um, I hope <laughs> I hope more than one or one, just any really would be awesome. Um, it's going to be really cool to watch them square off. They're both killing it as talented players uh, this postseason. Uh, or this postseason, this season. They uh, look like they might guard each other in the crunch time in this series um, that we'll talk about later today. Uh, Oladipo is obviously having a career year. LeBron's the best player of all time. Um, but for the Pacers' story of this season, I just hope to see Oladipo do something cool like bury a dagger right in his face. Uh, he played well against the Cavs in their games this year, so I think it's reasonable to expect that he's got a chance, and he's been 
the most clutch player in Pacers history, um, probably this season. Well, maybe Reggie, but he's been one of the most clutch players in Pacers history already established. Um, just one season in to his, uh, to his Pacers career. So uh, I think there's a chance. And if they're in a game, I hope that that uh, ends up being a thing that happens so I can go crazy on Twitter and then make fun of all my Cavs followers. Um, but in general, uh, um, we'll see how it goes because LeBron's not going to be guarding Oladipo. I don't even know if he would on last possessions. They might put, you know, someone smaller like George Hill on him and have LeBron roam around. Um, but we'll see. I hope I hope the answer is one or more. Lindy, thank you for asking that entertaining question. I love answering um, goofy questions sometimes. I wish there were more of them. Uh, Zach Pearson played Fortnite with him a couple days ago. Zach, thanks for playing with me. Uh, at Zach Pearson, really easy. If I'm if it's Pearson and I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. It's spelled like Pearson. It could be Pearson. He says, so with the new energy this young team brings, how do you think it will help Miles' playoffs play and confidence now that he doesn't have to throw the ball to PG and run pick and pops? Well, that's a good question because last year's playoffs was kind of odd um, with the offense. You know, Jeff T could create a little bit. Uh, they had him moving around and cutting off the ball, but he's more of a dribbler to create than an off-ball guy. Um, so a lot of the offense was that and Paul George coming off of screens, and that's why I'm glad that you included that in the question um, because PG, you know, he th- I think they ran this every play. They'd start with floppy uh, where PG would come up to the wing, and he wouldn't even look for the shot. He'd catch it and just turn and face right away no matter who was guarding him. Um, and then he'd kind of... You know, he'd look to drive right if he had it, but he never really went for it. He would kind of wait on the play to develop, and then they'd run a stagger screen with whoever was in it, the three, and Miles Turner, and then Thad Young would spot up in the far corner, uh, and then George would drive left from the right wing or left the, the opposite, whatever. He'd drive in from the wing and try to get a layup or kick out to Thad, or, you know, Jeff Teague would come off a flare screen in the corner, and there were just options um, all over the court for him, but they ran that a lot. Um, and it was one of their most successful plays, so there's a reason they ran it so much. And the double screen, um, you know, they're really easy. To, they're both easy and really hard to defend. Um, if you're switching everything, they're really hard to defend because you have to track three guys instead of two, and it's just one more thing that the defenders have to think about when they're backtracking. If you're not switching, it's easy because it's like at the same time of you think he has to go through two screens. But Paul George has to go around two screens, so if the guy realizes it and gets a step, uh, he can just recover quicker. So it's strategic in its own way, and, and McMillan used him pretty well in that series. I mean, they were in every game. Um, but, you know, I, Miles really never got the ball off of him. Um, the role is not a thing with Paul George driving. He just never gave it up in those situations. Uh, you can't pop on a double screen very well. There's just not the space for it because there's a guy clogging every passing lane. So Turner couldn't do anything last playoffs on uh, the Pacers, really their go-to play. And um, he never got the ball from Teague either because Teague rarely got it. And then whenever they'd go, need a three, they'd go to T.J. Miles. So this year, um, you know, like Zach said, they're playing with more energy and speed. And um, Adam wrote a piece about it and talked about how, you know, at the end of games they go to the Miles, Victor, or whoever has the ball, pick and roll slash pop every play. So I think um, their youth and exuberance – will help them mostly in speed and uh, ipso facto will uh, have more pick and rolls um, because it's such a faster action that they can uh, get more often. I think that he'll get more pick and pops and I think they're going to try to use them to get Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance away from the basket. But at the same time, uh, he's only been shooting, he's been shooting under 10 shots a game for the last like month of the season or so. 
Um, and I bet Nate's going to want to continue that strategy, um, spread the ball out to the three-point shooters a little more, uh, the guys who seem to be able to create a little more off the dribble and things like that. I think they're going to try to run the offense more through those guys. So I don't expect Miles to get uh, a ton of confidence just because I don't think he'll be shooting too much. Um, but I hope he moves the ball a little more. I think against this Cavs team, he has an opportunity to get in the lane and kick it out. So um, I think he, he's probably the key to the series, to be honest. I'll talk about that with Chris. Um, but what, what he's able to do will be fascinating. I don't think he'll be up for the shooting task, but I think he can do everything else that he'll be asked for. Um, and I don't mean shooting like just catching and shooting like taking guys off the dribble and getting in the lane and passing. Like We've seen him do it a few times and not enough, but it, that would open up the whole series for Indiana. But um, I don't think it'll help him a ton. I just don't think that uh, he's built yet as a, as a playoff dominant player. So I'm unfortunately out on that question being a positive answer. <laughs> Uh, ben Jones at Ben Jones nine five two two asks, which Cavs backcourt player will be the most effective? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, I want to answer LeBron because he will be the backup point guard. Um, in theory, he'll be the point guard the whole game because he'll take the ball off the court. But um, that's not a what he's asking or be the the question. Or that's the same thing. That's not a what he wants to hear or be the question. Um, I'm going to lump in the following players into the group. That will be J.R. Smith, Rodney Hood, George Hill, and Jose Calderon. And I'm probably missing someone really good. Shoot. Um, Jordan Clarkson. And Jordan Clarkson. Those are the five guys um, that I think will get the bulk of the minutes um, in the backcourt for the Cavs. Um, And I think of that group, um, it's not J.R. Smith. I'll go there first. Um, But I think he has the chance to be the microwave guy who just changes the series and ends it. I mean, doesn't seem like he has a big game against the Pacers every time these two teams play. He can get hot so easily. Um, and none of the Pacers, like, Oladipo's good on defense, but I don't think they'd ever put Oladipo on J.R. Smith. Like, that just seems like a waste. So I think J.R. Smith could cook his matchup, um, and I think he can get hot at any time and really change the game. Um, but he's probably last for me just because he's been pretty bad this year, and I'm not afraid of, I'm not afraid of some J.R. Smith. Um, my number two least likely is Jordan Clarkson. Um, but Jordan Clarkson has kind of thrived in Cleveland a little bit. Finally has the space to do his thing off the dribble. He's really good at scoring, uh, in those situations, but he probably won't play a ton. He's not the best defender. He's like a colander. Everything just goes right through him. Um, and Calderon, uh, Calderon's effectiveness is a hundred percent tied to LeBron because he can only shoot, but he doesn't turn it over. Um, credit to him. You know, that's kind of the only reason he's still even able to, be a veteran on a playoff team is that he takes care of the ball while also draining his shots. Um, but I, you know, not a good enough defender probably will be the backup point guard. So that, uh, that narrows it down to Rodney hood and George Hill, the two starters I'm guessing. Uh, and they, they are, they will be getting, getting their impact in on opposite ends of the floor. So, uh, in terms of overall effectiveness, I'm probably going George Hill. Um, but I think that between Hill and hood, you can make an argument either way. I don't have the number in front of me, and I'm going to pull it up while I'm rambling. Um, but Rodney Hood, uh, since going to Cleveland, has shot some crazy percentage at the rim. Like, his three-pointer really isn't falling a crazy amount. He's only shooting 35% from three, which is fine, honestly. Um, but he's shooting, oh, got it, good, 71.4% at the rim. So when he's driving, he's finishing everything. Um, that Cleveland spacing system, everyone being afraid of LeBron, like, he was already a solid finisher in Utah with no spacing. Now he's got a ton of spacing. It's so easy for him. So Rodney Hood, you know, if, depending on who the, who's on him, he could have a just wonderful time scoring. Um, but he has an Achilles injury, so maybe uh, that will slow him down a bit. And ultimately, I'm going to pick Hill uh, for his two-way potential. 
we all Indiana people know uh, George Hill can defend. Uh, he's such a good on-ball guy. He's a pretty good off-ball guy. Uh, and maybe the only problem with that is Collison will be motivated to beat him since Collison got benched for him back in 2010, 2009. Um, but, you know, Hill can really defend, and he'll take Collison, maybe not out of the game, but he'll he'll hinder his uh, ability to get everything done the way he wants to. While at the same time, Hill is an okay offensive player. You know, in Indiana, everyone said he should be a shooting guard, and I don't agree with that. He's fine as a point guard, but he has shooting guard skills, and then he, he's a better finisher than creator. But with LeBron, that's perfect. You know, he just has to take it up the court and pass and cut and then be open on the three-point line, and that's all he does on the possession, and he did a good job. Um, so if George Hill spots up and hits 40% of his threes and plays his usual level of defense, he'll be easily the Cavs' most effective guard. I mean, they'll almost certainly have him in the closing lineups just for defense. Um, so Hood, if he gets hot from three... Not even hot. If he shoots just okay from three, uh, I think it'll be him. But I don't know with the Achilles injury and just that's not his thing necessarily that he can do that because he, he can get to the rim, but that's it. So I'm going to pick George Hill um, with the potential for Jared Smith uh, to come in and ruin this answer for me since he just chucks all the time. But that was a good question. It was fun to go through everything. I wish someone asked me that for every position. Uh, friend of the pod, always... Uh, Always in on the questions and stuff like that. Love it. Jordan Brandenburg, at JBGuitar2196. The first person to ever tweet at the podcast since I uh, became one of the hosts of it. He said, would you rather see Bojan or Thad on LeBron? Um, there's two questions, so I'll answer that one before I read the next one. So that's probably the most common question Pacers fans have about this series. Um, and I'm fairly, fairly confident Thaddeus Young will guard him. Um, this is not who I'd rather see. Well, actually, it probably is, but let me finish the answer. I think Thad will be on him. Um, you know, Thad did a great job on Giannis a couple times during the season, if you recall correctly. Like, a great job. Um, one of those games, he almost shut him down. He kept him off of the 20-point line. He, he made, missed a lot. Thad was really engaged. Um, he guarded LeBron a few times in last year's postseason. It went okay. Um, but I just think he's the best option, so I'd probably pick him. Although, uh, with Bojan... Um, What's happening is there's the other mentality, which I forget the first time I heard this phrase. I was a kid, but it always stuck with me, and it's not something that teams ever do because it's not necessarily the best strategy, but when it works, it works great. So, you know, LeBron's going to score 30 points. It's the playoffs. That's what he does. It's how good he is. I mean, he's the best player ever. Um, so put Bojan on him and let LeBron do his thing. Just, like, let it happen. Okay, he's going to kill you. But everyone else stays glued to their man and does not let them get in rhythm and does not leave them open, and LeBron can only be the guy who kills the Pacers. Um, And I think that that actually wouldn't be the worst strategy in this series. Uh, Most of the time that doesn't work because LeBron will just cook him all the time, but, I mean, he can't, and then he'll be worse on defense if he's trying that hard on offense. But the other matchups, they're like, Fed can do well on Kevin Love, and Miles can do good on the other team's center, and Vic can shut down whatever the better offensive guard is in, and Corey slash Darren can do the worst guard, and like, I know Bojan would get murdered, but I think it uh, frees frees up the chances that no one else gets has better games. So I think that that's a hard question. I would probably put that on him, just the, the chance that you slow him down at the same time as stopping everyone else's what you go for there, and then put Bojan on the center. Actually, is what I would do. Um, but we'll see. That's going to be super fascinating um, what McMillan decides to do. But I'm pretty confident they'll pick uh, putting Thaddeus Young on LeBron James uh, pretty much every time, or they go some funky zone or boxing one or something which definitely won't happen. I'm just thinking out loud now. Uh, the other question is, who will be the Cavs' best defender on Oladipo other than LeBron? Um, and then he said, Blitz explosiveness or snipers? Oh, Blitz explosives or snipers only? That's a Fortnite question. 
Um, so for the Fortnite question, Blitz for sure. I uh, love the smaller map. It made the game so much more fast and fun for me. Um, for the Oladipo question, George Hill is the answer. Um, for like, let me back that up. LeBron, if he's like actually trying on defense, is the best defender on the Cavs. Um, but one, he's probably going to guard nobody, which Chris will talk about later. Um, he will probably just roam and play free safety and just help whenever and make passes happen. Um, and two, he just won't guard Oladipo. That'd be too much of his effort. He's not using on offense. So I'm guessing George Hill. Um, I'm almost positive George Hill. None of their threes like Corver and <laughs> Jeff Green. And, you know, they don't have the best um, wings to guard him. And their guards are all pretty awful on defense outside of Hill. So I almost guarantee George Hill will guard him. And then whoever's in it, the two guard will guard Collison or Corey. Um, and George Hill can do a fine job. Like I already said, we've seen him in Indiana do that exact thing. So I think he could have a nice series uh, playing some defense on Oladipo. But Oladipo's going to get his points. I mean, he, want, he has a lot to prove. So, yeah, that's a good question. And we will close with a question from one of our biggest fans, also Drew, at uh, Jolly underscore Drew. I'm glad this, this question was asked because I love answering questions like this. Uh, it is, what are your favorite Pacers lineups? So... This is not a playoff question, and I'm not going to make it a playoff question. Um, I think my number one favorite lineup is when they go smaller and have no uh, no Thad and no Booker at power forward, so Bojan playing the four. Um, I believe they had at one point like a, a Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, Lance, Bojan, and Domas group was like a plus something crazy through 100 possessions. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was really good. Um Collison did the creating. They had tons of spacing. Uh, everyone could shoot and, and kind of dribble. They were just getting easy offense. And, I mean, when Miles was in, um, it wasn't Miles, it was Domas. But I mean, he could pass and keep things going. And they were just getting just enough on defense. And I think if that lineup with Miles in instead of Domas ever existed, it would have been great. They could have just flushed everybody to the middle. Um, but I think, you know, my number one favorite lineup is Corey with the rest of the starters. It's not the best, but it's my favorite just because of the versatility uh, that you can see with it sometimes. It's the closing lineup. It's got a lot of my favorite players in it, um, which makes it fun for me. And then um, I like lineups with Joe Young in it because they're always exciting. You never know what Joe Young's going to do. Um, and then another real answer um, is when Trevor Booker is playing. I like when Trevor Booker's at center. Uh, he's a good, hits the glass hard kind of guy, and I know they used him at center for that brief stretch when with no Domas, and it worked really well. Um, so... I just kind of like variation and going smaller. I think they have the three-point shooters to go smaller. So generally groups that, that go against the normal convention of a kind of traditional-ish power forward at the four, uh, I like more. They're not necessarily better, though. McMillan's done a pretty good job getting cohesive units out there. Um, I've been happy with that. So that's a fun question. I wish I had a better answer than that. Uh, there's been so many lineup iterations that it's impossible to think of the best one off the top of my head. So that would have been it for today's episode of Lockdown Pacers because as I looked through my phone, we are out of questions. But uh, something else happened in Pacerland today that somehow did not get talked about. Um, I'll have an article out on this, so you might have read it before you're listening. But uh, the Pacers finished with 48 wins, and so did the Thunder and the Jazz and the Pelicans. So uh, to, they had to decide the draft order between those four teams, between picks 20 through 23. Uh, and the Pacers lost that. They'll pick 23rd in that group. So they have the worst first-round pick of that group. Uh, and will officially pick 23rd in the first round, but they get the best second-round pick. Woohoo! Terrible consolation prize. 
Uh, they'll pick 50th in the second round. So I guess if they want to sell the pick, they can get more cash for it maybe. But uh, not really. That That's kind of sucky. That's exactly what you don't want to have happen um, in those draft drawings. But, yeah, they'll pick 23rd. Um, they'll keep their second. But they weren't going to give it up this year anyway because it's not going to be in the top half. So now we look forward to 2019 when they're – pick to Brooklyn is protected or reverse protected 45 through 60 um but yeah bummer 23rd pick we'll probably start doing draft stuff uh after the playoffs it's too early to do anything like that for now um but I hope you like this episode I like the mailbags I get to talk about stuff I don't really talk about um I hope you guys enjoy our playoff coverage we're really excited um I hope you guys are excited too uh if you could leave us a rating or review on iTunes forever in your debt um thank you so much for listening i'm excited to have another episode out for you guys later today have a great weekend and enjoy the game tomorrow